Hi, everybody. Welcome to Unrestricted, the podcast that interviews noted public figures that have now returned to a more private life. My name is Steve Savitsky, president of B'nai Tzion Foundation, former president and chairman of many Jewish organizations. The people you're about to meet have great wisdom and experience. They were all leaders in the Jewish world and have much to share, unrestricted, with our listening audience. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to, to my program. Today, I have a wonderful, wonderful guest, Rivka Ravitz. Ravitz was the former chief of staff for Ruby Rivland, and welcome to Unrestricted. Uh, our program is a little different. What we really deal with, we deal with people who, of course, at one point had been in the spotlight all the time and now are in another stage of their life. And we kind of talk to them and we call it Unrestricted because hopefully now that you're no longer doing what you're doing, you're a little bit more unrestricted and you could, you could say what you want. And we've had some very interesting people on and the show, thank God, is really getting a lot of great publicity. So first of all, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it thank very much. Thank you for having me. And indeed, I was thinking about when they cast the role of Wonder Woman, I guess they should have picked you for that role, shouldn't they? I mean, you are, you are, you are, a, you are indeed a Wonder Woman. There's no question about it. I once came to LA uh, we came for, for a conference. Then we got a, an email from the consulate that there's a, a show of Wonder Woman, of uh, Justice League, and she's inviting the Israeli president to come and shake her hand. So uh, I'm the Haredi mother that never was in a cinema or something, never saw a show. I found myself in the middle of Broadway, uh, in, in the middle of, I don't remember the name of the, of the theater, and. Like, it was so funny. And then she came and said, I heard you are the Wonder Woman. So, uh-huh. like, <laughs> so these other people other people have said it, yeah. no question about it. Wonder so, Woman herself. So, I mean, how it seems so incredible for you to get to this role. How did you start out to get, I mean, to eventually get to be the chief of staff for the president of the state of Israel? Um, I was uh, working with my uh, father-in-law. My father-in-law, Rabbi Abraham Ravitz, he was the head of uh, the finance committee in the right. Knesset, and he was the head of the uh, Degel HaTorah right. and all the Haredi um, right. uh, parties of uh, party in the Knesset. This was 96. I was very young. I just got married. I was 18 and a half, and I needed money, so I was working. I was still learning in seminary in the morning and working for him afternoons and then as I finished seminary I became his uh, advisor, his finance, uh, financial advisor and it was very interesting because in Israel the finance committee is a very professional committee. Like you learn a, a lot. Issues like even the army comes with the, bu- with the budget and tells you everything and a lot of uh, those years we were moving from G1 to G2 and so I learned a lot about communication and health and hospitals and everything comes in and and like you you learn a lot and so I was learning there and then after three years I was working with him and I was maybe 21 or 20 I already had two or three daughters and there was a new law in the Knesset that you can't work with first remove uh, relatives you can't work with your parents with your brothers and sisters so I had to leave his office and look for a different member of Knesset to work with. And then I found uh, Rivlin, and he very fast became a minister. 
So I, I was like at the age of 23, maybe, head of an office of a minister in Israel, never a Haredi, even at men. No Haredi had that job uh, before me. Wow, and then eventually when he became president. And then he became the speaker of the Knesset twice. Right. We had right. a lot of campaigns all, all the way there. Um, and also in the Likud, he was part of the Likud party. So you get campaigns like in the Likud, like we call them primaries. Right. So we did all that together, and also it was his idea to make Arik Sharon a prime minister. Arik Sharon was uh, nothing, just a minister, and then he had the idea, so we had all that campaign, very big campaign. To make Arik Sharon yeah. prime minister. And yeah, and that work. When we went through the whole Gush Katev. Yeah, and then that, and then they, and then they, uh, they separate. They separated. Like really? he was not his friend anymore. Oh, really? Okay. Because yeah. of that, they yeah. they split about that. Yeah. Really, that was always interesting. I mean, like. He was very angry. It was uh, hard for people to understand how, Eric Sharon of all people could could do that. And what do you, what do you, you're in the inside more than anyone else. That, and that I say, you couldn't understand it. Something happened. It was like a dibuk in him. Right. He, the one that built those settlements. Right. And the one that you felt always, he's like so strong in, in, in building settlements. Right. And it was his idea and his vision. And then you find him coming and just breaking. That was just uh, Revelin was very upset and very disappointed and he just uh, he he was the one maybe I think the, the, the only one maybe there was an, another one that uh, did it uh, did, that voted against it in the Likud really okay. yeah wow. that was quite a it was time. very hard days yeah that was a very hard time it was yeah. a hard time for um, for us in America actually during those days I was the president of the Orthodox Union during that time and it was a really hard time for us because we want to support the democratically elected government of Israel, yet we ourselves felt against it. But we had no choice. We, we just felt as our feeling was, as American Jews, we don't have the right to tell the Israeli government or the Israeli people what to do. I mean, it's still a debate today as you see what's going on. I hope they would uh, act the same today, but today they are, they are not supporting the Democrats. Right, I mean, that's what, that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing that they're, they're not, I, I don't know, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a machlokas, but uh, I think personally that as an American Jew, I love Israel and support Israel, but I don't vote in the elections, and so who am I to tell them what to do? They're smart people, and uh, especially if 73% of the people voted in this election, that's more than you have in almost any other yeah. country. So who knows? But it, that's what happened with Rivlin. That's very interesting. Yeah. So then you kind of, it's kind of like being in the right place at the right time. That's really what that's it was. That's right. Like it was really just a shgacha. Right. I was just there, like, and came and I got some, uh, you know, jobs that I never could dream about them. And at the age of 23, to be head of, the, of an right. office of a ministry, and then uh, uh, doing the campaign for running it for um, a prime minister. Right. Uh, and then uh, at the age of maybe thir 28 or 29, I became the head of the office of the Speaker of the Knesset. That's a tremendous, huge, huge office. All the laws, all the uh, schedule of the Knesset, all the, all the committees of the Knesset, wow. everything. Not talking about that, that the Knesset has 400 uh, workers and, and dealing right. with that too. So that was a small, uh, small deal, yeah. So how did you manage it? I mean, I mean, it sounds like it's an impossible task. With I think I heard Kinahar twelve. So now it's twelve. So 
you know. Uh, Maybe when we came to the Knesset, um, I was the second time. The first time I was 26 or 27, and then the second time I was 32, and I had my twins. They were the eighth and the ninth. Ah, twins. <laughs> okay. So I had nine children, the eight of 32, and was head of the office of the speaker. Of so how did you do it? I mean, how is it? I mean, it seems impossible. <laughs> it seems impossible. So I've got a lot of help okay. from my family, my mother and my sisters, and, and especially my husband. He's really very, very supportive. He's like, just go for it. And sometimes if I would be coming home crying, I have no patience, no koyach. It was a just a horrible day. Everyone was against me, and I can't do this anymore. So he said, you have it. You'll be OK. You are more smarter than them, and you are uh, clever, and you'll do it. And he just gave me a lot of koach, and he was also always there. And he also has um had a good job. He was like, he's also a politician. So what does he do? He was then, those days, he was the deputy mayor in Beitar Elite. And now he became the mayor. Oh, so he's the mayor now, of Beitar Elite. Yeah, Beitar, he became the mayor of Telstone. Oh, Telstone. Oh, right over here. So he that. works very hard. Wow, that's yeah. a big that's a big community, isn't it? Yeah, and Israel mayors have a lot of um, responsibilities. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Are they kind Actually, of independent? Do they belong to a party or do they... How does that work? He belongs to the Gelatora, but you can find a lot of uh, mayors that are independent, and they really have a lot of power in Israel and yeah. a lot of work. They could work 24-7. Uh, someone was knocking at our door at 2 o'clock in the uh, Shabbos night. Really? Yeah. So this is kind of in, in your blood, like, I mean, the rather... In his blood. Okay, well, I mean, but you then, once you got married to him, obviously, it fell in and so on. So. I was there, and I, like I told you, Hashgacha, I was always in good jobs and pol in politics. I never got to love it. To love it. Really? I don't like you it. You did it, but I did it. I enjoyed my job always. Right. But politics, I, I don't. So politics are a big part of it, isn't it? I mean, did you? Yeah. Have to, and you said, did you? Did you run campaigns for yeah. like, I for like, if Ruby Riven was running in a campaign, you would. Yeah. Really? I did that. Yeah. You had to organize the advertising? What, how did you, what did of course. you do? All that. First of all, to organize the budget. Right. And then all the advertisement and the PR and getting all the strategic right. uh, thinking right. together and yeah. all the st uh, staff. So what do you think of the whole political system in Israel? I mean, it seems to be like, is it working or not working? Or how would you change it? I mean, like you're, you're in the inside. Mostly, mostly it works. It's not so bad. It's a good de de democratic state. We have some small problems with with the judges, like they are all selected by themselves. Right. And so then you see always the white men, Ashkenazi, and you say, oh, you are 50% here, not Ashkenazi, so what's going right. on? Right. We are the Ethiopian, we are the uh, Sephardi, we are the right. women, we are... So you see women uh, lately, um, even they were, the two last ones were, uh, the heads were women, but they are trying to change that, and this is very like it's in the kernel of the of the left in Israel and they feel and they're getting very frightened of, of that being changed but and we also have small problems like we we should maybe select the prime minister in a different uh, not, not through his party right. we tried that once and it was right. not good I know right I remember but maybe we should build it differently and it would be good but who's going to do it because all the political figures are so entrenched it's hard to get someone who could look at the big picture and say, is it the president of Israel who really should be saying, look, we've got to change this and this is what we have to do? 
maybe maybe it should be the president but sometimes also you see prime ministers that come in and they have the vision and they have the ability to to change things the, the main problem of Israel is that we don't have a constitution right, of course. but that can change because the, the Haredi and the, even not Haredi even the just the from people in Israel have problems with that right, so it's that. just a, a thing that we can't we can't touch so you're not going to have a constitution, but that's, I, I understand that Great Britain doesn't have a constitution either. So I mean, they seem to be doing okay all these years. So. Yeah. So we should we should build a, a system that doesn't let people change uh, important laws very fast. Like. Right. So what's going on now is. So now it's not that uh, it's not that uh, good. The way they are changing now the laws, it's a bit tricky. Like, uh huh. I think they should be like a little bit more moderate in what they're yeah, trying they to do. Yeah, they should say we need 80... Um, right, 80 votes. 80 votes, yeah. Maybe in some places you could be, you could t- take it 75 if it's enough, right. but not less than that, I think. That's think, my point of view. How do you think this thing is going to end a little bit? Because here we are where it's February 26th, okay, 2023. I'm here in Israel. You're, you live in Israel. Protests are going on all over the place. Uh, it seems to me that the world is now condemning everything Israel is doing. I'm nervous about it, truthfully. Honestly, I'm very nervous because I, I think we've kind of gone too far. But I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, we, we probably got too far. And it will it will be okay. The Knesset will will vote for it, and it will be become a law. And it's a pretty it's a bit too far. So maybe if uh, the next next government will be not so right. rightist uh, uh, right. centered, so they will maybe change something, but they won't change everything. And then we'll be and um, then we will come to oh, a so point. So you of, think it's going to take till the next government to change yeah. it? This government will do her work, really? and they promised this for for their voters and they'll do it really? and it's not so bad most of the things are not so bad and even if you'll talk to the most leftist uh, right. person he will tell you that some of the things are uh, should be changed right. not in those numbers not 61 right. not uh, you know so why can't this present government change that I mean they promised their voters to do this really? so they'll do this and they all believe in it, and the Haredi community believes it's very true because the Haredi community uh, got a lot of uh, trust from uh, from the high court. Like we always, whole seventy five years, were never good with high court. Really? They never were for our side. So I want to ask you a question. Maybe it's a definitional question, but it's a question that I have, which is. What does it mean to be Haredi? Like, you know, I'll, I'll just give you an example. Like, in the States, uh, so let's say I was president of the Orthodox Union. So they would say we were a modern Orthodox. And I never liked that term because I don't know what it means. I don't understand. I don't think I'm modern Orthodox. I think I'm a Torah Jew. That's what I am. But you use it, everyone uses the term Haredi. But what, I mean, there must be so many deviations of Haredi. And you're like, what does it mean to be Haredi? So in Israel, it's not so easy to define Haredi. I define Haredi just like the person who keeps the Shulchan Aruch and Davins and like keeps the Torah. That's that's a Haredi. That's the mean of Haredi. But in Israel, you have a lot of terms of how you dress, right. which phone you hold, where do you learn if you learn, if you learn a whole day or you work half a day, if you go to, to the army or not. And like right. in Israel, it has a lot of, of political of course. terms and defines. But I believe Haredi is the one who keeps the Shulchan Aruch. 
Right. Okay, no, I, I agree with you also. I always tell people, I tell people, I say I'm a centrist Jew. They say, what do you mean by centrist Jew? So Torah is the central part of my life. That's, that's, I'm a centrist Jew. That's what it means. But I mean, you know, you have so many different definitions of Haredi. And I guess some of the things going on today are also this backlash against its Chiloni, Haredi. It's more than just the Supreme Court and the elections in 60 or 61. I could tell you that the, the former government, there was a very bad um, minister of treasure. And he just made laws anti-Haredi. His laws were came to become good. I believe in his laws, like one of his laws was uh, against um, paper, uh, not paper, um, plastic. Uh, oh, yeah, right. And he, one of his laws was um, drinking uh, sweet, um, like sugar. Oh, sugar right. But he did them, and he said that, that he's against Haredim. So now this government wants to bring back those laws. So. We, our community, uh, women uh, Haredi community, we came to the Minister of Treasure and we said, why should you? It's not good for our children to drink uh, sugar. So he said, because Lieberman did that, we have to fix it and then we'll think how to, uh, to fix it again. I mean, this Lehachis. Yeah. He was Lehachis, so... Really? Unbelievable. So he was a lot, a lot of Lehachis and, and you had all that Yair Lapid, the Yashatid, they're all Lehachis. They're all against, like, just... Uh, the idea of someone being Haredi, and I couldn't, I could understand them because the Haredi community, enlarges in very big numbers. So they're growing and so yeah. on. But is it true that they? Do you think they're integrating more into society now than they ever were? And is that that's a good thing, I guess, right? So they are integrating, but it's not, it's not the kernel of yeshivas. Like it doesn't touch the yeshivas. It touches the the people that were around around yeshivas and were not able to really sit and learn um, so they are going to work or if they're young they're going to the army and of course the women are integrated already for a few years you see this percentage of uh, women working in the Haredi community is as the percentage in the, really? the Israeli um, uh-huh. society the same so- percent so, but I'm saying, how do you bridge the gap between this, these two worlds? Is it impossible? Is the army really the dividing line? Is that what it is? My kids are serving and yours are not, and that's, that's, that's something that's hard to fix, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a good question because I specifically believe the army is, is a problem. But people that are professional, they say we can't fix it. I, I thought we should have a professional army. But people say it won't be enough. So if that's the way, I, I, sometimes I think that in 10 or 20 years, you'll see so much Haredis in the army right. that they will be they will be uh, sorry that they just asked Haredim to come into really? the army. Really? I mean, they're certainly in the Dati Lumi community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are in the army. They are commanders uh-huh, and yeah, so on. Yeah. And which is good, which is good for society. Of which absolutely right. I mean, I think yeah, it's, I think I think that's really really great. There's a big, big. Uh, it's called Netzach Yehuda. Yeah, yeah, sure. I know that, right? So the Haredim, the boys that don't feel uh, like sitting and learning, they are going there, and they are getting also very high. Uh... Right. So if you want to sit and learn, you're allowed to learn as long as you're learning full time in yeshiva. But if you're not learning full time, then at some point you have to. 
go into the army and so on. So if you learn full time, you get all the zechuyot um, or whatever you have and so on, and you're allowed to, you're you're allowed to go. So every time you know it's always interesting because every time I come to Israel, and um, I came this time for the conference of presidents, so uh, every speaker always starts off with the same thing. You're here at a very critical time in Israel. So I've come a hundred times. I'm waiting once for someone to say, it's not such a critical time. It's okay. It's a vacation <laughs> yeah, it's a vacation. critical. Nothing, nothing is being bad, but everything is always a critical, critical time. And that's what this country is about. Everything is, there's crisis all the time. I mean, like, there's no part of society that is not confrontational. I don't know why it is, but I guess this That's why we are so nervous always, the Israelis. And that's why we yell. And we also laugh loud, but we, everything we do loudly. Yeah, that's true. But the, surprisingly, I saw surveys that you're like the 11th happiest country in the world, which is really interesting, right? And even despite everything else, you're still, you're still pretty happy. So now that you're not, are you not working anymore? Or what are you doing? Um, so I, I'm, I'm working. I'm not working for, for, the, for the government anymore. Almost anymore. I'm not, I'm not working for the president anymore. I'm working for a small um, thing for the Minister of Culture, uh, but I'm um, volunteering there. Wow. Yeah. And I work for a cyber company. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, called Act Defense, and I enjoy that. That's three days a week, and I work here in the Hebrew University. Oh, really? What do you do? Yeah, I'm doing research for, uh, for the JPPI. It's the um, research uh, of uh, the Sochnut Yehudit. Okay, right. Yeah, okay. and we're sitting here in the Hebrew University, Givat Ram. Um, so I'm doing research about Haredi women in the really? workshop, yeah. Really? Now, were you totally accepted within the Haredi world, even though you were working and had a high-profile prof- job and so on? Were, were there people who were, didn't think that it was a good idea? I was always accepted. Really? And very nicely, and I was always felt also accepted in the in the secular, um, uh, <laughs> like when I was in office or working for the president. I never felt uh, so, someone didn't accept me, and also in my community. So if there's a young Haredi woman today who says, "I want to be like Rivka," she's my role model, and the teacher says, "That's okay." Yeah, I mean, really. Yeah, supposed to be. Yeah, I'm not a. Um, I'm not a red. Um, I'm not uh, a, a red flag for the, a red flag for the. Uh, I got you. Ready. Okay. So, what was it like working for Ruby Rublin? I mean, I met him a whole batch of times, but I don't. I don't he seems like a pretty jovial kind of person in a way. I don't know. If he, He's very nice. Is he? Yeah, it was like it was like uh, working with a family. We were working all the staff for maybe twenty years together. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was it was very nice. So sometimes it was um, very hectic, like. The, cha- the staff was huge, and some people were very important. Like when we be- came into the president's office, so I found my political advisor. He was a- an ambassador before he came. Really? And my attaché, the- he was ahead of, it's called in, he- in Hebrew 669, like a very right, big right. division in-, in the army. So, And I was just 37, and they were all getting uh, almost 60, and like I was and I had to, to, you know, to run them. So, so sometimes it was not easy. And we also, as a president, we were traveling a lot. I was going to ask you about that. You traveled a lot with him? Yeah. yeah. Every time he traveled, you went with him? Yeah. Really? So he went, he was traveling all over the world? Yeah. I was always traveling with him. That was my, um, my job. So that was really not so easy. So usually he also, he didn't like to be out of 
Israel for Shabbos. Right. So usually we were here for Shabbos. So that was good for the children and for the family. But it was not always. Sometimes we were out of, of home for, for Shabbos. I remember once being in India for 10 days. Wow. And that was the birth, Shabbos was the, my, um, my son's birthday. And I was just crying. They're all uh, having a nice uh, party. And I'm <laughs> alone myself in this th filthy uh, place. And like, it was, I even got sick there. It was so, really? uh, yeah. Wow. So it was not always easy, but I really got a lot of opportunities to meet from very close, sure. huge uh, leaders from the world. Like when it was the funeral of Shimon Peres, so Obama uh, flight uh, flew in, and like in a few hours, it just we didn't know he was coming. It was just, and I was the one to to Amazing. be with them uh, the, the the day, and I was like so close to him, and he was spoke so nice and. Uh, and then I got to meet Clinton, and um, and then of course Joe Biden. We'll we'll talk about the famous yeah. the famous Joe Biden meeting. <laughs> that was the and end the end of the term. But we, before we met Trump for two uh, right. twice. Once he came here to Israel to open the right, embassy here, right. and we had a very nice conversation with him about Jerusalem. And he was like, it was funny because usually leaders they sit and they talk to the other president right, and right. they don't let us talk like and he was right. like, so friendly and he was bringing us into the conversation like we are part but, of them did you have a problem with kosher foods travel some places yeah you did really even though you went to india okay, yeah usually we have chabad house every place okay, right but sometimes you don't like I, I remember once traveling to russia to Moscow. usually i bring like a some tuna and yeah. crackers I, in my... Just like we do. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. In my bag, I have always some tuna and crackers. But it was just, not say, uh, sukkahs or something, and I didn't have the time to go to to the grocery to buy something. And we didn't meet Chabad until Shabbat. So it was like four days. I was just eating the apples and bananas that the right. hotel were putting, putting in my room. I couldn't eat anything else. And I was like, <laughs> I came starving for Shabbat. How, how does he fly? Does he have his own plane? So today, these days, we built, uh, Israel built a new um, plane. It's called Knaf Tzion. I'm not sure if they already traveled on it, but could be they did. We didn't have it. You didn't have it? No, no we traveled on it. Commercial? Frigle commercial? We yeah. But you sat in the first class, obviously. Yeah. Security. The president sat to the first oh, class, and, and, and we got a business, or, and then really? sometimes we came into first class. Wow. Like, Unbelievable. So your experiences are like something that people don't even understand because you get to see people, meet people, go places that no one else... We were supposed to travel to Australia through Bangkok. And the night before, they closed uh, the airport in Bangkok because of COVID. Oh, wow. So we traveled to Australia through Los Angeles. So we decided if we are already in this side of the world, we went to Salomon Islands, to Fiji, right. Fiji. So we were like, for 48 hours on a on the plane. Really? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Like, you know, on and off. But now during COVID, I guess people were, you didn't go that much. And then we COVID. didn't travel for almost a year. Really? And when we did, we took our private plane. Really, wow. And what about your children? Are they, are they involved in the world of politics? Are they involved in the the more secular world, or are they, are they more in the Haredi world, per se? So they are very Haredi, and right. we live uh, in, in Telstone, that's a Haredi, right. Haredi town, and they don't like politics. 
and they don't like our jobs. So, oh no! <laughs> but but when something comes to the paper or to the radio, so they are pretty uh, thrilled, and they say, and they're like, "This is my mother. This is my father." But they give us they they know how to give us a bad feeling, like really? when we travel and when we they put notes on the door. Don't travel again. Don't leave us again. Really? So they weren't, they weren't totally supportive of what you were doing in a way? Good. It's okay. Really? Yeah. So what do you think? What do they want to do? Like your kids? I mean, uh, so my oldest is, um, she, she learned computing. Computers, right? Yeah. And my second is an actor. And the third is a physician. Really? Yeah. Physician? Went to medical school? Yeah. Wow. So that's She's not a doctor. She just learned oh, uh, a PA or something, yeah. like, something like that. So do you miss your job? No. no. <laughs> not at all. I, go, I still go there. Like uh, once a week or something, if he calls me, if he's, right. if he want, if Herzog needs something, right. something, so I go there. So when I go in, I say, oh, this was nice. I loved this. But then when I go out, I say, oh. It's good it's behind me. <laughs> wow, that's really amazing. It's so yeah. hard, because uh, I would imagine for some people it's so hard to leave. I mean, you're doing something like that, it's like, you never want to leave, right? I mean, it's so much fun. It was seven years. Okay. In Israel, the president is for seven years. And it was after I was already um, 15 or 16 years in politics. Okay. So like, no, more. Like I left the president house after I was 24 years in politics. Wow. So I really needed a break. He he offered me to stay with him. Who Rivlin? Herzog. Oh, Herzog. Yeah. To be part of his team. To yeah. be chief of staff? Like no, he didn't offer the chief of staff. If he would offer the chief of staff, maybe I would do the mistake and take it. Okay. But he offered me to be his um, uh, advisor for um, diaspora. diaspora. Okay, yeah. right. The, that would probably be even more traveling. <laughs> no. No? You can't travel more than being chief of staff. You travel always. Right. And diaspora travels only when it's to Jews, like if they travel oh, for the right. army or for... Now, did the president travel uh, extensively, or is it just like a small part of his job? So it's a big part of his job, really? doing uh, foreign affairs, uh, uh, yeah. But uh, Rivlin didn't like to travel a lot, so he asked us it should be just once a month. I hear you. Okay. I hear that Herzog travels more. Really? Yeah, maybe twice. And what does he do now, Rivlin? So he's uh, the former president. Right. He has an office of former he president. He could be on my program, Unrestricted. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll try to get him on the program. Okay. So he has his office of former president. He, he travels a lot around the world, and he gives a lot of lectures. Oh, really? He speaks a lot. He also works for some high-tech company in Israel, a company that, uh, that automates the streets. Oh, oh I see. Oh, yeah. really? Wow. Unbelievable. Very, very fascinating. Yeah. So there's this really, I mean, you're really incredible. The things you've done, people would never imagine, you know. So you've had some great moments, I'm sure. Uh, interesting moments, probably some moments that were not so great. So when you think back on your whole tenure as the chief of staff, what are like one or two of the real highlights of like? So really, I got to meet uh, the top of the, of the leaders around the world. Angela Merkel, uh, Macron, and we also we met Putin once. That was a very interesting meeting. We met him for like it was nothing do, to do with, with the Jews. Like we just met him for a bilateral meeting, and then he invited us for dinner at at the evening. So, and he told us we could. He told the president he could bring five of your staff with right. him because I'll bring I'll bring five. He brought his prime minister and his foreign affairs minister and. 
And we came in, and it was very a very nice dinner. He had like nine portions, and he um, brought everything kosher. He heard there's a lot really? from oh, lady wow. and the wow. delegation, so he brought everything kosher. And I was just sitting like a meter and a half uh, across of him. And in one point of the of the meal, he was saying, "I want to tell you a story about my childhood." And he was telling us like his he was an, an only child and he was living they were very poor, living out of St. Petersburg even they didn't have the money to live in town, so they were living in the skirts of St. Petersburg and um, his parents were working very hard, they told uh, so they were going out of the of house very early in the morning when it was still dark and coming back very very late so he was on himself, so when he when he was coming back of school. He liked to uh, stay the afternoon and, and in a family in the building in the block, very nice family. He was telling us, and they were and they had four children. That right. that was rare those days in uh, in Russia. But they had a, a, a rare uh, thing. They were on Friday afternoons. The mother would light candles, and then they, they will all eat really? a festive meal. And and as he became older and and became a politician, he understood they were Jews. Right. So he, that's, he was like sitting this right. across of me and telling me and asked the story. And as he became a politician, he felt he, he should gratitude uh, Jews uh, and, and uh, try to treat them as best as. I remember coming out of that meeting and thinking that's a crazy story. Maybe he made that up for me because he heard there's a from lady. Right. So I called the rabbi, the Rav Lazar, and I asked him, is that true? And he said, yes, it's true. It's a true story. Really? True I know story. the family, yeah. Well, as long as you never know how people get influenced. Yeah. So many little things <laughs> that, that can happen. So, I mean, it's uh, you've had you've had great experiences. I, I really appreciate your being on the show and also like giving us some insight into what you were doing. And that's, a, that's, that's part of what the show's about. It's really not so much just about, you know, hearing the highlights that everybody knows. It's really understanding a little bit more about the personality. And I think, you know, by this conversation, people know a little bit more about you than they did before. I just want to end it with, I have a little thing, I call it a lightning round, but it's really not, just like, I'm going to ask you a question. Give me the first thought. Well, the first thought you're thinking about, okay? More or less, a few, so just a few questions, okay? And if you can't answer it, it's okay. So, you met someone. Who's the greatest person you ever met? Greatest leader or greatest person? Let's first take the greatest leader. I think it was Obama. Okay. He was very special. Okay, and what about the greatest person? My husband, probably. Uh, I was hoping, I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say that, okay. And now you've heard a lot of speeches in your day because you've been involved. Who's the best speaker you have heard? Oh, that's, uh, I'm sure that's Obama. So maybe we'll look for a different greatest okay. leader. Okay. A greatest leader. So I could tell you that uh, we once met the president of Canada, but they don't call it president, they call it governor. Oh. And she was a lady. She was very young and she was, she was great. Really? Yeah, she was also a mother. Oh really? So you yeah. ident you identified I, yeah, with we that? Yeah, we had like, and she was um, she managed a, a spaceship. Spaceship. Yeah. Oh wow. She was a uh, yeah. Wow. And what about the favorite place you ever visited? I think that was Saint Petersburg. Really? It's beautiful. It's the most. Oh yeah, right, right. I was there also. It's, be it's a beautiful city. Beautiful. Yeah. Is there any place you'd like to go that you haven't been to? China. Oh, you haven't been to Japan and China. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So, what was the best part of the job that you had? So the best part of the job probably was the ability to to talk to people through my stories, as what happened with the Pope or right. what happened with uh, right. Joe Biden. 
So things that sm- small things that I believe in, and I never had the opportunity to spread them, and Hashem gave me the, the this, vehicle. Right, yeah. unbelievable, amazing. Um, and what about just on a personal level? What, what's your favorite chag? Everyone when it comes. Okay. So now it's Pesach, uh-huh. a well, Purim per- Pesach. Yeah, I love right. all the holidays, but really, I think I mostly love Pesach. Really? Yeah. What about your favorite food? Um, pasta. Pasta. Ravioli, yeah. Really? Wow. <laughs> and um, what about, I don't know if you have your, I'm sure you don't have a late night snack, but if you did, what would it be? Um, popcorn, maybe. Oh, oh really? Popcorn, yeah, yeah, that's popcorn, fun, yeah. yeah. So let me, let's just end with one thing. Tell me the Joe Biden story, because everybody, <laughs> it went viral, so let's end it with that story. What happened? Okay, so that was at the last month of our uh, of, of our term. Like, it was, we were, we were supposed to go out of the president's house at 7th of July, and we were there at the end of June or something like that. So President Biden invited Rivlin to come and visit the White House for the last time. Right. And we were all very excited because we knew it will be the last time. So we even we didn't sleep in Washington because it was still covered. Right. We slept in New York and we took a private plane in the morning and we came to Washington. And it was all the same as it was uh, the, a few years before with Trump and with right. Obama, the same going into the protocol yeah we're going into the uh, roosevelt salon and having those big uh, chocolate chips cookies and m&m's candies and and the lady the protocol lady was telling us you will wait here a few moments and when the door will open you could go into the meeting and then she she changed her mind and she said we'll start with a -a tete-a-tete meeting just president rivlin will go in for four eyes and then five minutes later we will call uh, the delegation to come in so then Revlin told me, told me, I see she's going in and you are my chief of staff. So you'll come in with me for the tete-a-tete meeting. So that's what I did. And I was really very excited. It was our last right. visit abroad and it was just finishing this right. seven years right. term and we were all, and it's the third time we are in the same place. And I said, I met Obama, I met Trump. And, and um, the door opened and we, the two of us went in and it was, was like just the two of us in the oval right. uh, room. Oval, and he, they were talking like they were chatting, very friendly uh, speak, speaking. And before we came, so people told us, listen, Biden, he, he's a bit tired and he also doesn't like Israel. It was the very beginning of his term. Okay. But it was not true at all. He was all alive and he was so nice right. and he talked so nice about Israel. and. And then he asked Rivlin, who's this young lady with us? So Rivlin said, this is Rivka Ravitz, she's my chief of staff. And Biden just came to shake hands with me, so, like for polite. Uh, right. And Rivlin said, no, no, she doesn't shake hands with men because she's uh, very from, she's a uh, Haredi. And guess how many children she has. And he didn't even give him the opportunity to guess. He just said, Rivka has 12 children. And he's like, he was, wow, is that true? He was like asking me, he's joking, right? And I said, no, he's not joking. I have 12 children. And he said, I can't believe it. My mother should meet you. She loved big families. She was Catholic, I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, and she loved big families. And oh, such a shame she's not with us anymore. She would love to meet you. I want to tell you a story about my mother. But before, I have to kneel down for a mother to 12 children. And he just kneeled. All the way down. Really? 
Yeah, I was. Amazing. Well, blushing, it was uh, so. <laughs> I Un didn't know. Unbelievable. That yeah, story it became be, red and black. And that story and became white. viral. Amazing story. Well, listen, thank you so much. We're so happy today. Rivka Ravage on, uh, on, on a program, Unrestricted, former chief of staff. Thank you, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate it. Thank you, Rabbi, it. for having and me. And to you on everything that you do. Thanks. Be well. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in to Unrestricted, hosted by Steve Savitsky. The show was produced and edited by Gilad Brownstein and is a production of B'nai Zion.